And I think the key for this whole program, you talked about, you know, being able to look up the data and show exactly where the money went, exactly what you're getting on return, exactly how much you're leveraging, how much investment you're leveraging into these kinds of solutions. I think that has been a key from the beginning, you know, from the first project that we did. The year 2020 hasn't been kind to Minneapolis, but its climate and energy programs have been pushing the envelope long before it became the notorious site of the police killing of George Floyd. Patrick Hanlon, Director of Environmental Programs for the Minneapolis Health Department, joined me for this conversation in October 2020 to talk about the city's Green Cost Share Program, one of several climate and clean energy initiatives, and one that has disproportionately been focused on addressing racial inequality in energy. I'm John Farrell, Director of the Energy Democracy Initiative at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and this is Local Energy Rules, a bi-weekly podcast sharing powerful stories about local, renewable energy. Patrick, welcome to Local Energy Rules. Hey, John. Thanks for having me on. One of the things that has always attracted me to what Minneapolis is doing around clean energy and with this cost share program is the fact that you run it out of the health department, which I think for a lot of people seems sort of distantly related to clean energy. So I was hoping you could start off by explaining why does the Minneapolis Health Department care about clean energy and maybe also like what kind of brought you into this work? Yeah, no, I do get that from time to time. Actually, you know, when you think about climate change, it's maybe one of the biggest public health crises that we have on the horizon, or maybe with us now. Um, from extreme weather events, uh, heat waves that are going to impact our seniors and vulnerable populations. And when you think about the spread of infectious disease or carriers of new diseases that move in as climates change, poor air quality. You'll get ground level ozone that's predicted to increase as climate change progresses. Fine particulates that are going to be more common from issues like forest fires that are going on across the country or even on the other side of the world. As you look at fine particulates and ultra fines, it's a huge public health concern. And so, you know, that's why fortunately, you know, our Minneapolis Council and the mayor really gives us that latitude to and that drive to look at climate change with a public health lens. And so we look at it as, as part of our responsibility at a local level to be addressing climate change. And what made you interested in this work? I have known you for a number of years working with the city of Minneapolis and, and interacted with you around the clean energy work as a member of the city's advisory committee to the Clean Energy Partnership, which is covered in several other episodes of this podcast. What got you into it, Patrick? You know, I think the Green Cost Share Program, we started this program as a way to address pollution issues at a local level. Started off by actually working with dry cleaners, looking at PERC in the dry cleaning industry. It's a hazardous cancer-causing chemical that's used in dry cleaning. And we use the Green Cost Share Program as an innovative approach to work with the industry instead of just coming up with a regulation. If you look at small businesses like dry cleaners, that's, it, it was a tough investment for them to make the change and, and change their equipment away from PERC. And so we use this program as a way to work with the industry and work with these small business owners to make a positive change. And we're able to do that. We actually are the first city in the country to remove all of the perk from our dry cleaners. So all of our dry cleaners here in Minneapolis are perk free. And so that was kind of the first place that we got a, a victory, so to speak. And so we moved into other areas and other pollution sources, working with the local industry here. And then there was a natural segue into climate change and looking at energy efficiency and renewable energy and how we could address climate change, and then also the, the pollution, the other criteria of pollution that goes along with energy use. Oh yeah, what else are you working on? 
in 2020, I was been really surprised that I thought we were going to see a lot of solar projects drop out and a lot of our energy efficiency projects drop out just with the, the economic crisis that we have going on. I was really surprised to see that a lot of these projects are moving forward. This is our second year of doing group purchase. So we don't have the administrative capacity right now to be having incentives for every, to do, be doing contracts with every residential home here in Minneapolis who wants to put on solar. And so we have these group purchase programs where any solar provider can pull together a number of solar projects, uh, residential solar projects, and then we'll, we'll put in incentives, incentive funding for that entire project. And so, you know, as I'm looking at, I'm kind of scrolling through our sheet here and it looks like we have close to a hundred group purchase projects that we have that are, that are going forward with a number of different solar providers. We track all of these different programs down to the kilowatt hours production and savings and CO2 equivalent savings based on our local energy production for all of these projects. I'm looking at the, the sheets that we have for, for all of the projects here and kind of going through what we have going on. We have a number of multifamily energy efficiency projects in multifamily buildings, and those are typically hard projects to move forward because of that split incentive between the homeowner or the building owner and the tenants. And so we've been able to utilize this uh, 4D affordable housing, naturally occurring affordable housing program that our, our community planning and economic development department came up with, and, and we work in partnership with them. So when these buildings, they get a tax incentive for having naturally occurring affordable housing, and when they agree to hold that building to at least 20% of their building to affordable rates for a period of 10 years, we come in on the back end and we provide significant energy efficiency incentives up to 90% of a project cost, leveraging 90%, including the utility rebates who also have some, some pretty aggressive incentives for multifamily buildings. So we get up to around a 90% efficiency or 90% incentive match to the building owner to put in energy efficiency projects into their building with the assumption that those costs get passed on to the tenants that are in that building because that's how the, that's typically how energy costs are passed on in a building is that heating and, and electric costs are passed on to tenants in the building. And so we try to really get at that split incentive through that program. We have a number of our buildings that are in our green zones in 2020, you know, places like Do Good Diapers. It's a diaper washing service in North Minneapolis. North Market is a a local market up in North Minneapolis that they've been really working with Hillsbury United and a number of different partners up there to get that project going. And it's not only a grocery store, but a, a community center where people can come. And even their parking lot in the summer has lots of different community concerts and, and farmers markets and activities for folks. So it's really a community center. And we've been working with them to get a solar project going on that building. Uh, really excited to see that, that moving forward working with a number of nonprofits and especially in those in those green zones we have a lot of nonprofit partners that are putting up solar projects so in total in uh, 2020 here we have 250 applications that have come in and then around 300 total projects and so that's a significant increase from 2019 and that's really what we try to do you know, even in a down year where we have an increase in projects and that's really what we try to do with the program every year is, you know, keep, keep scaling and, and keep getting more projects and then playing that balance between getting CO2 reductions and then also utilizing that money to address inequities in the system. This is great though. Thank you so much, Patrick. I just think it's so important. 
I think about a city like Denver has passed this sales tax and they're thinking about now we've got this money that we've committed to do this work. How do we spend it? And to have a great example of how do we spend it is really important. And this is a great example of how they can do that in a way that, you know, can make people across the political spectrum feel good about the money is being taken through a tax, through a franchise fee, but it's being returned to folks and helping to reduce energy bills and to reduce racial inequalities. All of that's, I feel like, super important. So I'm, I'm excited because when I publish this, I'm going to be like, hey, Denver folks, <laughs> listen to this podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, uh, I think that's the key to it is get it, get it back out to the community and, and get it invested into community solutions. So yeah, let me offer a little context on that. You know, over 150 U.S. cities have made these pledges around clean energy to reach 100% renewable electricity by some certain date. Maybe it's 2030, 2040. But a lot of them really struggle about how to get there. We've covered that a lot on this podcast and talked to folks from a lot of different cities. With this green cost share program, you've, like you said, you gave, I think, a nice history there of the start of the program. I guess what I'm kind of curious about is, could you talk a little bit more about how it's helping city residents and businesses reduce their energy costs, but also address the city's climate change pledge and renewable energy pledge? So I don't want to oversell this and say that this program alone is going to get us there. You know, the whole the whole basis of the Green Cost Share program was really to leverage relationships and to leverage other resources that are out there to help solve problems like pollution reduction, and then we're using that same tool to help address climate change. And so we're, we're fortunate to be, you know, that we have a utility partner through the Clean Energy Partnership in Excel and Centerpoint, who, um, you know, Excel especially is setting some pretty ambitious renewable energy goals and carbon-free goals uh, that I think you've probably covered in some of your other podcasts, and then working with the providers that they they help support. And so like a Energy Smart or Center for Energy and Environment. So we work with all of our partners to really bring resources to the table to help support small businesses, to support tenants in multifamily buildings by helping the, the owners improve the equipment. I'm sure you talk about that, some of that split incentive that happens in multifamily buildings to help make improvements there, and especially in our low-income buildings in Minneapolis, and then especially in our environmental justice communities or our BIPOC communities. And I can talk a little bit about that if you'd like me to. Could you give a couple of examples of things that the Green Cost Share Program has funded just to give people a sense? And then I suppose I should just, for folks that aren't immediately familiar with that idea of the split incentive, you're talking there about a situation where, for example, the landlord might want be the one who owns the HVAC system, but the tenant is the one who pays the energy bill. And so you have this problem of the landlord's not really incentivized to upgrade it because they're not going to see the savings from making investments in more efficient equipment. But yeah, give us a couple of examples about about how you've helped businesses or, or, or residents do some of these changes. Like how how is the Green Cost Share Program helping folks pay for these things? What kind of money is on the table for that? What are folks doing? It's off the top of my head, like projects that are going on right now, there's a project in North Minneapolis. It's a largely African-American community in North Minneapolis. They had a cooperative market built, and we've been working with a nonprofit who helped put some of that together, Pillsbury United, and a solar developer to get that project, to get a solar development up on that roof. We came in with the Green Cost Share Program, and the, the developer has stated that that additional incentive funding 
and I don't have that number, I can actually grab it. <laughs> but that additional funding that we brought in with the Green Cost Share Program helped get that off the ground, uh, quite literally, uh, on top of their roof. And so they're going to have solar on that on that market up in North Minneapolis. That market up there has been a great project to have. There was a, a called a considered a food desert in that area for a lack of of having a grocery store in that location in, in North Minneapolis. And so that's going to bring some additional funding to the market, to the, to the cooperative up there. I love that you are jumping right to, I can get you that exact number. And I think that's one of the great things about the work that you've been doing with Green Cost Share is the fact that you track very closely how the money is spent and kind of what it's leveraging in terms of greenhouse gas emissions and, and other pollutants. Could you talk a little bit about that, actually? I don't know if you have numbers handy. You always seem to when I see you in, in some of the other public meetings, but kind of give us a big picture about like in a given year or maybe over several years, like what kind of impact is the Green Cost Share program having? Sure. So I'm trying to leave out the 2020 numbers because we don't have, have all of that data back in. But if I were to add up 2019 through really through 2016, when we started doing energy efficiency and solar, we have about three and a half million dollars invested in projects. And then that's leveraging about $30 million in projects. And that's giving us around 10 million in kilowatt hours of savings. And then another additional 10 million kilowatt hours of solar production. It's around a thousand low-income units served. Could you talk about how the Green Cost Share program is funded? Like, what, how is the city putting money into this program? And has that changed over time, either the source of the funding or the amount of the funding? Initially, the Green Cost Share program was, we have what's called a pollution control registration that we charge businesses here in Minneapolis based on the potential impact or impact of the pollution that they contribute to the air, ground, or, or water here in Minneapolis. So the funding for the program, for the Green Cost Share Program, started through an innovative change that we made with our pollution control annual registration. Uh, in 2015, we started charging for, um, we started charging by the ton of criteria pollution here in Minneapolis based on the potential social impact of those pollutants. And so that was authored by then council member uh, Jacob Fry brought that forward and authored that that change and that initiated more funding to be addressing pollution here in Minneapolis with the justification of using those fees that we were collecting to help solve some of those pollution problems that we had in the city. So we had the program in pilot form since uh, 2012, but that really gave us the justification to expand the programming. And then a few years later, we were able to work with, through the recommendations of the Clean Energy Advisory Committee, that is an advisory committee to our Clean Energy Partnership. That's a partnership between the city of Minneapolis and our utility partners, Excel and Centerpoint. So this Clean Energy Advisory Committee had recommended a dedicated fee through our franchise fee. So we have a fee that we charge to both utilities that comes into the city as that we collect through the city for doing business here in Minneapolis. And they recommended using that as a tool to accelerate that, the, that climate change funding even more. And the Green Cost Share Program was one of the programs that they recommended be scaled up or increased through the use of those, those fees. So that was another point at which the program accelerated. 
How have you seen the Green Cost Share Program help the city make progress on its goals, both in its climate action work and otherwise of eliminating racial and economic disparities in energy bills? With the Green Cost Share Program, when we were working on pollution reduction, that, that work kind of lends itself, lend itself to working in environmental justice communities because typically where industry and residential neighborhoods were existing together is, is where you have a lot of those environmental justice issues. When we started moving into energy efficiency and solar, we take a step back every year and take a look at, you know, what are the weaknesses in the program? What are we, you know, what are we not doing well? And one thing that we saw that we were not doing well with energy efficiency and solar is getting into those environmental justice communities. And there's two communities, both in North Minneapolis, South Minneapolis, that were uh, community groups came together, uh, facilitated with the city of Minneapolis and helped identify the, the, our environmental justice communities. And those are called green zones. So we looked at our green zones and we noticed that we didn't have a lot of projects in those areas. So we took a step back and said, well, you know, those are areas that have been recognized as having intentional underinvestment for decades here in Minneapolis. And if you go across the country, every major city is going to have areas like this with the redlining, the lease covenants that affected people's ability to build wealth and, and own property in those areas. And so we looked at this as one small program where we could start making intentional investments in energy efficiency and renewable energy in those communities. So we have additional incentives that go into those in North Minneapolis, South Minneapolis. They get higher priorities. So when we send them out to we have a third party that reviews all of our applications. And when we send them out to that third party, part of their weighting criteria is if those, if those applications are in the green zones, they get higher priority. And then they get a higher percentage match. And so going back, you know, after having those intentional investments and then doing intentional outreach, and those are really the two things that we look at as our, our key to getting more projects in you know, environmental justice communities or in BIPOC communities is having those relationships, and then also having that intentional investment in those communities. And so when we did that, we actually found that the projects were twice as likely to happen in those communities versus the rest of the city. And so we got a reversal on, on how the projects came into us. Could you talk just briefly about the outreach component? Just because I did an interview recently with someone from Portland, Oregon, about their engagement strategy for the Portland Clean Energy Fund that was recently recreated to do, I think, a lot of similar work as the Green Cost Share Program. But there are a lot of other cities that have really struggled with figuring out how how can you be intentional? Like, what does intentionality look like? How are you able to be successful at outreach to make sure these projects actually happen in the places where you want them to happen? Right. Um... Well, you know, I'd probably go along with with some of that, and I'm, I'm always critical of, of our own work. And so I would say we have a lot of work to do in that space. We have had a lot of success in working with our local community partners in South Minneapolis, working with the Lake Street Council in North Minneapolis. We've been working with the West Broadway Business Association, working with, I had mentioned before, a project that's going on in North Minneapolis with Pillsbury United is really just going out and meeting, you know, I have this motto of like uh, be able to meet anytime, anywhere with an organization or with a group. And so especially if they're connected to other small business owners or, or other people in the community where they've built relationships. So really working with people who have already built those relationships and getting the resources in their hands. We're going to take a short break. 
When we come back, I ask how the Green Cost Share Program intersects with other city climate and health initiatives, how the program has grown its funding, and what advice Patrick has for city leaders feeling cash-strapped in their climate work. You're listening to a Local Energy Rules interview about Minneapolis's Green Cost Share Program with Patrick Hanlon, Director of Environmental Programs for the Minneapolis Health Department. Hey, thanks for listening to Local Energy Rules. If you've made it this far, you're obviously a fan, and we could use your help for just two minutes. As you've probably noticed, we don't have any corporate sponsors or ads for any of our podcasts. The reason is that our mission at ILSR is to reinvigorate democracy by decentralizing economic power. Instead, we rely on you, our listeners. Your donations not only underwrite this podcast, but also help us produce all of the research and resources that we make available on our website and all of the technical assistance we provide to grassroots organizations. Every year, ILSR's small staff helps hundreds of communities challenge monopoly power directly and rebuild their local economies. So please take a minute and go to ILSR.org and click on the Donate button. And if making a donation isn't something you can do, please consider helping us in other ways. You can help other folks find this podcast by telling them about it or by giving it a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The more ratings from listeners like you, the more folks can find this podcast and ILSR's other podcasts, Community Broadband Bits, and Building Local Power. Thanks again for listening. Now, back to the program. So the the city of Minneapolis has a lot of kind of interconnected sustainability work uh, beyond this program. How does the Green Cost Share fit in with other health department or city initiatives that are happening both around climate, but also around public health? We look at this program as we're, we're always trying to leverage relationships out in the community, with other programs that are the Energy Smart program that's being supported by Excel and and the Chamber of Commerce, you know, and, and getting out and building relationships and leveraging resources. We and anyone that works in the city or or a bureaucracy, you know, knows you got to do that internally as well. And so we're always looking at ways that we can work with our CPED, which is our Community Planning and Economic Development Group. They are well connected in with the business community, and so making sure that they're aware of you know how we're changing the program each year and what our timelines are every year. The sustainability office here plays a crucial role in that clean energy partnership program that I talked about in organizing that and coordinating that and making sure that we're aware of what's going on from a legislative level, what kind of offerings the utilities are putting forward. And so keeping us in the loop and coordinating across the city, we really count on them to help us with that and connecting with other efforts that are going on around the city. And then also connecting out with, I mentioned that clean energy advisory committee making sure that they're facilitating those meetings and then getting that feedback to us on our on our programming. So yeah, we're all trying to work hand in glove and really play the right niches within the city and then within the community. Another program that we do for our low income residents is through our Lead and Healthy Homes program. That's a, a HUD funded program for addressing lead poisoning in children uh, and childhood asthma. It through that program, you know, when I came on board in 2014 or after 2014, 2017 HUD grant, we had around 136 homes that had cold hazards here in the Minneapolis area. And as you know, it gets very cold here. And the HUD incentive wasn't enough to be able to get any of those projects to move forward. We had people come through with assessments and through the Lead and Healthy Homes program, we serve predominantly majority low-income households. I think it's around 87% of the households that we work with are low-income. And so another program that we started is to ensure that every one of those homes, or our goal is to eventually get to every one of the homes that go through that program, we do deep deep energy retrofits. And 
through the use of the franchise fees, we've been very fortunate to be able to use those fees to address other issues that utility programs can't typically cover. Like if we go into some of these older homes and there's knob and tube wiring, we're able to help use some of this funding to address those issues as well. So it's allowed us to be able to get deep energy retrofits in these low-income homes that ordinarily would get would not get any of this work done just because the folks there don't have any any money to be working with to do this. And then, of course, it's saving them on their utility bills on the backside. So there are a lot of cities, as I mentioned before, that have made a 100% renewable electricity pledge, and Minneapolis has that goal by 2030 citywide. So that includes residents, businesses, and municipal buildings as well as a a goal to generate 10% of its electricity locally. You kind of alluded to this before, that it's not enough, but, you know, can the green cost share program meet that demand? Or what more do you see as needed in order to help the city get to those ambitious goals? You know, I would say we've, the green cost share program alone cannot, can't hit those goals. Um, You know, like we need to be working, like I've said, in in, in partnership with the utilities and having them pull a a lot of that weight the green, however, the green cost share program can be scaled up fairly significantly. Every year, we are out of, we are oversubscribed for the program. We have more people wanting to get projects in than we have funding to be able to su- support projects and demand that's out there. Um, and so, especially as you know, the uh, utilities are talking about putting additional investments in 2021 on the rebuild and recovery that's going on. Yeah, there is definitely uh, an ability for us to scale this program up. And so that we can play a significant role in helping to hit that 10% of renewable electricity locally and to help hit that 100% renewable electricity pledge, especially as, you know, there's going to be a lot of electrification going on, as, as you well know, with vehicles and, and possibly in, in heating of homes. And so as that electrification happens, the Green Cost Share Program can play a role, a significant role in helping to meet that, that man, demand and to meet that change. The prompt for this bigger question here was, can the green cost share program meet the demand that the city have the city's goals of 100% renewable electricity and 10% locally? Right. So, you know, it, was, it has to be in partnership with the two utilities. We need them to pull a lot of weight. Um, but the program could be scaled up very significantly. It's already oversubscribed. So, Patrick, can you explain a little bit more about when, you know, when you say the program's oversubscribed, what are some of the things that you imagine that you could do if it was funded more substantially? I think about, you know, when I, when I say the term significantly, we could use this program to significantly impact those goals. I always try to think of that in real terms is by using today's examples of where we're at and how we can scale to hit some of those larger goals. So to give you an example, I'll use 2019 as a good example, just because 2020 is <laughs> a difficult year to, uh, for anyone to, to use as a benchmark. Although we are still moving forward with a lot of projects here in 2020, but in 2019, we had 173 project sites, applications, and we invested $2 million of investments. And that was between the city of Minneapolis funding with this franchise fee funding, Department of Energy funds. We have uh, leveraged some grant funds. We really try to scrape together whatever funding we can bring together to make all these projects happen when they come in. And then we had about 15 million, almost $16 million in total projects that, and that includes rebates, the federal credits, the state solar incentive that match some of the the private investment in these projects. 
And that gets us to about 5,483 tons of CO2 annually. So that's taking a offsetting a significant amount of carbon emissions with electrical and with kilowatt hour savings and then with therms. Those funds that we use, and I believe I mentioned this, but those funds that we use are predominantly focused in BIPOC communities. Those are the highest priorities. That's where we have the highest matches. And, and we call those areas green zones here in Minneapolis. Those are our environmental justice communities. In 2021, where we're looking at, as we talk about, you know, moving this program forward, we've always got to be conscious of the, the situation that we're moving into. And so we're going to be dedicating our 2021 funds on rebuilding and recovery efforts from the pandemic and the unrest due to the killing of George Floyd at a significant number of buildings that were damaged in that process. And then also that the unrest around that killing came from a lot of inequity, inequity issues here in, in Minneapolis. And so how do we use, as this is a small program, but how do we, how do we start focusing that money intentionally in those communities? And so you know, in this time, as we're reinvesting these funds, as we're redirecting these climate action funds, how do we how do we use that money to reduce the energy burdens, and how do we use that money to help build wealth? You know, as we talk about the different solar projects and energy projects, how do we ensure that the workers who are part of part of those projects and the BIPOC-owned businesses that do solar installations and do energy efficiency projects can access these funds to benefit their their communities? And so that's the intention in 2021. And from those projects that I mentioned, those, so those 2019 projects that I mentioned, those will create about $20 million in lifetime energy savings for homeowners, renters, and businesses. So we're leveraging lifetime savings and that you know, makes those, not only saves those communities money, but also makes them more resilient to some of the economic changes when events like 2020 happen. And so those projects that I'm mentioning, those 173 projects that happened in 2019, are, those are only solar direct investments and in solar installations, energy efficiency projects from projects like lighting combined with smart controls. And that's utilizing those franchise fees to leverage those projects here in Minneapolis. But we also have other projects going on. We work in partnership with our other uh, city departments like the Sustainability Office and Center for Energy and Environment, who's a local service provider. So they have home energy squad visits, low interest loans. We're doing intentional evaluations of our low performing energy benchmark buildings. So those are our large commercial and our large residential buildings here in Minneapolis. And those buildings make up about 50% of our city's commercial carbon and residential footprint. So those are huge carbon potential savings in, in those buildings. We have gap financing programs. We're looking at innovative approaches in low income passive housing. And so I say all this to say you, you asked about, you know, what's the ability of this program to scale up? So if you add all those programs together, we have around 5,500 tons of CO2 emission reductions annually. And then with those other programs, I'd say you could conservatively say we have another thousand tons in reductions that we get from those other programs. So that's an additional 5,000 to 6,000 tons of CO2 that you're getting annually. And if we look at these at this program, and we've looked at ways that, you know, how is this, how is this money and how are these programs leveraging change in behavior? And unfortunately for, and you can decide to keep this or not, but unfortunately we've done some, uh, some comparisons with, you know, our local neighbor here who's in the same market, working with a lot of the same utility programs. And so looking at when we started these programs and specifically looking at solar, we've seen a 290% increase in the difference between ourselves and St. Paul from the time that we started 
these intentional investments in solar. So you can really see, and I wish I could share a, a graph on a podcast with you, you can see that as soon as we started these programs, how Minneapolis took off in a different direction in the number of solar installations that are going on in Minneapolis. And really the only difference is these intentional in incentives directed towards solar investments. And so that's one example in one area of how these how this money is reinvested. And then, you know, that 6,000 tons, that's all 6,000 tons of CO2 reduction, that's all working with only a 0.5% increase in the franchise fee that we're reinvesting. And so let's hypothetically say that you were to increase that, that franchise fee amount from 0.5% to 3%. You're talking about a six-fold increase in the reductions that you're going to get. And let's say conservatively that you could get 25,000 tons of CO2 reductions annually. Well, that's more than just significant. That's game-changing for a city the size of Minneapolis. You really start to bend the curve down towards hitting your 80% reduction goals by 2050, if you can maintain that level of reduction. And of course, that's going to take changing what that program looks like as technology changes, as where you can get your CO2 reductions change. But if you're going by what we're, what we're currently getting in our reductions in the work that we're doing here in Minneapolis, a slight increase in this programming uh, and I say slight because you'd be going from 0.5% to uh, something like a 3% increase. And this is all hypothetically speaking, but just to give the idea of how this program could be leveraged up. And then we also see that this program is has so much demand every year that we can grow this program pretty exponentially and 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 fairly quickly that we'd be able to, we're, we're out of funding, you know, the, our, our application process starts in usually in December. We're going to be working in January this year for the 2021 schedule, but we're usually out of money by February and March of every year. And we have lots of projects and we have to do intentional outreach to contractors to let folks know that we don't have any more funding in this program. Another area that will help this, all of this work in energy efficiency and solar the ability for us to scale up is to be creating the workforce that can do this work. We already have backlogs in our home energy squad visits. We have the, the amount of contractors and, and evaluators that are available to do this work. So that's one of the challenges that we're going to be working with a lot of our, our local partners here and our utilities to help address what is that, how, how do we increase that workforce? But when that workforce is there, we'll be able to move forward with a lot of programs and there's a lot of potential out there in, in Minneapolis to get energy reduction, to get CO2 emission reduction. Well, I'm more than happy to keep this section about the uh, advantage that Minneapolis has over St. Paul as a Minneapolis resident. Um, okay. <laughs> but also to, you know, let's juice it a little bit over there in St. Paul and see what we can do to catch up. I mean, the, the right. beauty Absolutely. of this franchise fee is that it is in the power of the city to address. And, you know, we're seeing other cities find resources in lots of different and interesting ways. You know, Seattle's taxing high payroll yes. employees of big companies. Portland is taxing large retail companies. Uh, Denver, Colorado, they just had a ballot initiative and passed the sales tax increase for $40 million a year for climate initiatives. And, you know, you talk about making a six-fold increase in the franchise fee and that would just get you to you know 15 or 20 million and here's denver coming out of the gate with twice as much as that already uh, so right. i think they're you know really big opportunities there 
Right. Well, and I mean, and that's why I want to do this podcast. I mean, that's why I was, I, I was really excited to sit down is I, I would love to see other cities. I'd love to see St. Paul doing something like this where they can be. And, and I think the real key is investing that money back into the community, right? It's like getting that money and investing it back into the, into solutions and ways that people can build wealth and save money. What is the size of the budget for the Green Cost Hour program right now? And when you talk about it being oversubscribed, how much money do you think it would take to meet the current need, like what you're getting in terms of applications and oversubscription? But is there any limit to how much you could put into this and still find it useful? <laughs> it's always tough when I don't want to be making it. It's right, we're right during budget time here. And so I don't want to like put myself in an awkward position like I'm requesting this. But hypothetically, as we're, you know, or if, or if we had a, a funding source to be able to assist all the projects, I think the Green Cost Share Program could easily easily be doing three or four times what it's doing right now. You know, and we're operating. And when you say, what is the budget each year? Each year, we've got to go back and make that request. This year, we are working with around 1.5 million. I would say we could probably be doing easily five or six million a year in projects, leveraging that probably seven or eight to one. That seems to be the key element of this that is you know the city is getting a lot of bang for its buck because you're getting all sorts of private investment that is matching yes the public investment and i think it speaks really highly too of the program as you said that's a work always a work in progress but the fact that you already have kind of a two-to-one focus on serving folks in the green zones suggests that you know you've you know, you were you just referenced, for example, that utilities are interested in scaling up their investments around rebuilding, which of course is the rebuilding from the property damage that was caused uh, concurrent with the protests about George Floyd. So obviously, racial equity was very much on the minds of folks in Minneapolis. So it really does speak highly of this program that scaling up that investment could be disproportionately serving these communities that have been underserved, which I think is pretty important. With that in mind, I, Patrick, I'm kind of curious what advice you would have for cities that are you know, trying to address the same challenge, right? They're trying to think about racial equity. They're trying to think about economic stimulus in a time of COVID. They're dealing with climate change and renewable energy targets, but they often think they don't have the financial resources to do things. What would you say to that, given the structure of the Green Cost Share Program and, and how it's uh, been financed? When we started this program, or maybe even just a little bit before we started this program, I think the only piece of equipment we had in the office or even you know resources to be able to use was a non-data logging noise monitor and that we had and that we could go out and you know regulate off of uh, noise pollution in Minneapolis. And so we did not have a lot of resources to be working with, and so we were in that spot. And I think the key for this whole program, you talked about, you know, being able to look up the data and show exactly where the money went, exactly what you're getting on return, exactly how much you're leveraging, how much investment you're leveraging into these kinds of solutions. I think that has been a key from the beginning, you know, from the first project that we did for $20,000 with a local dry cleaner who took really took a chance on us in this in this program too, that we were able to show that we got rid of 1,200 pounds of perk in their facility and, and we're able to clean the air. And then we've just taken that concept each time and being able to measure the results and really show it's about helping people to meet these challenges, helping having everyone in our city be helping us work towards meeting these challenges. And so it's been about being good stewards of that funding and, and really working with people in our community to help solve this, this problem of climate change and 
and helping them overcome the challenges that they have. Anything else that you would want to share with folks from other cities who are kind of struggling through some of these same challenges, public health crises, climate crisis, all at the same time? One thing that surprised me this year is I was anticipating a lot of our projects to, or all of our projects in solar to drop out. The solar industry is still going ahead. We, we still have a lot of projects going. So that's given me a lot of hope. Through this uh, pandemic, you know, when this started, we were doing a lot of mass distribution, hands, getting hand sanitizer out, getting, setting up, we're still setting up testing events right now. I have 60% of my staff working on that. So this whole program has given me a lot of hope for what's on the other side of this is being able to look at the horizon. I've said this before, but being able to look at the horizon and look to the future and that, you know, not to sound corny, but it's bright, that the solar industry is still moving ahead and the renewable energy is still moving ahead. We have the energy efficiency projects are still moving ahead. And so it just gives me a lot of hope for what's 2021 and, and beyond. Another thing I just wanted to add into this is I said, we take a step back every year and take a look at our program and say, you know, like, what are we, what are we missing? What aren't, what aren't we doing well? And I think that you, you talked about environmental justice. That's always an area we have to pay special attention to and be really intentional about. And I think we still have a ways to go to be really good at that. But the other area that I would say is workforce. You know, we went up on the, a lot of the roofs in North Minneapolis and South Minneapolis, and we were really happy that we we're getting projects in those environmental justice communities. But the workers on those roofs didn't represent the community that they were that they were in, you know, that having these pretty well-paying jobs up on those roofs. So that's one area that we're working on right now is setting up a solar training program. And we've been working with our local electricians union, 292, the IBEW 292, working with Summit Academy, working with a local entrepreneur here, uh, Jamez Staples, in working out of his building and setting up the training. So to ensure that we have people from the community that are, that are, taking part in this wealth building. The, you look at a job on a roof, start a solar a solar project at, you know, if it's $19 an hour, $25 an hour, that's twice the area median income of North Minneapolis. And so if we can get even a handful of people each year added to those jobs, those well-paying jobs, that's, that's going to make a good difference in, in the community. And this, it will help make this green cost share program more of a wealth building tool as well, not only a climate action tool. Patrick, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to you about Minneapolis's Green Cost Share Program and for your work and and making it racially equitable as well as a successful climate program. Thank you, John. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Local Energy Rules with Patrick Hanlon, Director of Environmental Programs for the Minneapolis Health Department, recorded in October 2020. On the show page, look for links to the Green Cost Share Program dashboard, interview with city council members at Cam Gordon about the city's clean energy partnership with its utilities and links to other interviews and stories about cities using their local authority to generate more funding for equitable clean energy work. On our website, you can find our community power map of all cities with 100% renewable energy goals like Minneapolis and an interactive community power toolkit for stories on how cities have advanced toward their goal with new funding and new strategies. Local Energy Rules is produced by myself and Maria McCoy with editing provided by audio engineer Drew Birschbach. Tune back into Local Energy Rules every two weeks to hear more powerful stories of communities taking on concentrated power to transform the energy system. Until next time, keep your energy local, and thanks for listening.